And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're here giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We're looking for those new ways of living because the old ways just don't work. How do I know this? Just look around. They're not working. And we're trying to find those new ways in many different areas of our lives. And uh, one of those areas happens to do with uh, loss. That's right. We're going to talk about the, the process of living grieving, which is a rather interesting title to the book that we're going to be talking about today with its author, Karen Johnson, using energy medicine to alchemize grief and loss. And uh, Karen, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on Tell Me Your Story to share yours. Thank you for having me. The aspect of grief, living and grieving, living grieving, I guess I should say, because uh, living in this case is a verb uh, and grieving is more of a noun or I suppose pronoun, uh, assuming we can trust my English education from high school. Uh, (laughs) Not an easy task because of specifically because of the emotion of grief. Now, you lost your son uh, some time ago. Uh, I experienced the closest connection to grieving and to loss. Uh, I lost my eldest sister a couple of months ago. And I was sharing my feelings about what I was feeling. And they oh, Richard, you're still in shock. You're not there yet. I'm, I'm thinking... I don't think so. Uh, I've kind of made peace with the whole concept of what we call death. What about you in this process? We'll get to the specific story, but in regards to living grieving, um, is it something that you will ever stop living? Uh, Is it something that you will, so to speak, get over, be cured of? Etc. Etc. Or is it now literally? It's a part of your life that you've you've sort of maybe you've made peace with and you've accepted, or you still say, ah, I I can't take this. This is crazy. I, you know, how can this be? Parents aren't supposed to bury their children. That's what my father said. He said those words. I did not know what to say back, so I didn't say anything. Tell us sure. your perspective. Well, that's why I called the book Living Grieving, because we live with it. It's changed our lives forever. We now have this aspect of something that we didn't have before. And we know that other kinds of um, life events like parenthood, marriage are transformational, life-changing. And yet we kind of stick grief off to the side as if it doesn't have its own transformational energy. And it truly does. It has an energy in it that can help us to transform our lives into something um, that's kind of reborn into a new and different life that honors our loved ones, that honors ourselves. We may have a different perspective on living Mm -hmm. after we've been grieving that we didn't have before. And it's a journey. It's a journey. It's not a one and done sort of thing. You know, our society is everything click, 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 click. Let's click through it. Get done. Uh, Time to move on. Time to go through it. And people will say that a lot to people who are bereaved. It's time for you to move on now. Let's not talk about that. What, that elephant in the room? Mm. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that. Let's go to a movie. It's time for you to go to a party. It's time for you. Time, 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 time. So I put a little different perspective on the time. I say it's a journey. Mm. And so it's a journey that we will take at our own pace. And I think really the worst thing you can say to someone who's grieving is it's time to move on. It's time. Who's time? Your time, the person's time, because we, the grieving, make people uncomfortable. So they want us to stop or at least stop showing signs of it so they can pretend like nothing happened, that life went back to normal. But our lives don't go back to normal. And maybe they shouldn't go back to normal. Well, I will tell you that um, what I find interesting is, and maybe this is intellectual, philosophically, maybe it's not emotional yet, uh, on an emotional level. Certainly at her memorial, I, I shed tears. I cried. I find it interesting that one of my other siblings, um, after the memorial, uh, was questioned about the tears. And, oh, no, I got a little dust in my eye. And, oh, it's, a, you know, allergies. That's what it is. And I'm thinking, why? How, how is it that you're making jokes? And, of course, this particular sibling, that's kind of their way of dealing with things is making jokes. I found out very early on in the uh, in the time I was there in Phoenix that <laughs> um, that sibling is the only one who can make jokes because I made one and my father got all over my case about it. He's 90. And then later, later he came back and he apologized for getting upset. But it's like, wow, OK, I will never make a joke in front of my dad again because <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. that's not my role. That is not my role. Uh, but it is on it sort of. I I think it's unfortunate that that this one has to make jokes. Um, sometimes at other people's expense, and and he'll claim, oh, uh, and they'll claim I don't mean any harm, but it still hurts a little bit sometimes. You know, like wait a minute, we're having a serious, a, a deep moment, or a warm moment, or a what have you, and boom, mm-hmm. all of a sudden this this little snide comment will come out. Um, what what's I'm curious. Uh, uh, What's what's your defense mechanism? I mean, uh, did did you just flat out make yourself fully vulnerable, or did you dive into something? Did you make jokes? Did you get into work? Did you uh, start gardening? I mean, did you take on something that would distract you and your mind uh, from the realities that you had lost your son? Well, you know, it was such a big loss, and I think we're talking about two things here, you know, a death that's within the expected time frames and one that's not. And if you have an unexpected death and the death of a child, those are the two worst losses. And if you have the unexpected death of a child, you're really in a world of hurt. So there was no soothing. There was no Band-Aid. It was not like losing my parents at the age of 95 and 89, not even close. It completely ripped my life apart. And I just didn't fit anymore in my life as a a federal administrative law judge in Washington, D.C., nothing fit. And so um, I had a lot of experiences, uh, experiencing Ben, um, becoming uh, a shaman, spiritual adventures and things like that. But for me, I ended up having to, and I didn't really have a spiritual background. So 
nothing anybody said was making any sense to me. So I went on a two and a half year journey around the world, talking to shamans and priests and, and rabbis and um, uh, Sufi masters and all sorts of people about death and grieving, because I didn't understand it. How do we get through this? How do we continue? How do we go on? And so um, I ended up writing this book, which is sort of, uh, it's an amalgam of my experiences over two and a half years of journeying to understand, understand death. And so sometimes, you know, it makes me think of that song, the tears of a clown when there's no one around. So you wonder someone who has that instinctive kind of pushing away, minimizing, but how are they when they're alone? Right. So um, I know for me, it was just very tough. Nothing seemed to work. And so the book that I wrote has 16 exercises um, that are sort of a preliminary. It's a preview. It's a way of understanding where are you stuck in your grief? We're all stuck somewhere different. Some of us are stuck in judging people around us who we feel didn't do enough, didn't do right by our loved ones. Some of us are stuck in, stuck in stories of shame, blame, or guilt, or we star in this drama. If all, you know, like the world revolves around us. And if only, especially parent, you know, parents will, if only I had done this when they were two, maybe we would have had a different outcome, right? So we, we torment ourselves mm-hmm. with ruminations and recriminations. And so sometimes we need to find out where those things live within us. A lot of books will talk to you about, okay, now this is a, you go on a date. Now you go here now you could do that. But a lot of people who are grieving will say, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And the reason they're not ready is they're carrying around a load of shame, blame, guilt, misery, judgment, all these things that, that really have to be released before, before doing these other things, before joining life again. Karen Johnson's my guest, a former federal judge. We're talking about her latest work, Living Grieving. I hope you'll pick up a copy at KarenJohnson.net. Using energy medicine to alchemize grief and loss. We'll talk more about that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it is really a pleasure to have Karen with us. KarenJohnson.net is the website. Karen, we're going to be linked to your website as well to uh, hopefully uh, get people to find out more about the work that you're doing, the work you've, you've done on yourself through this process that we're going to talk about on this program, uh, as well as uh, maybe some insights that maybe you've gained from other folks who uh, have been going through the process of grieving. There is no time limit. There is no um, proper order in which you are supposed to go through the steps as, uh, what is it, Mary uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Roth, I guess, uh, put together, what is it, the seven? Seven, seven. Well, it depends on her and her, her, the guy who worked with her too, right. wrote another book, The Seven Steps. So ah. there's a lot, but it really had to do with the process of dying, yeah. not the process of grieving. Yeah. Those steps don't really work ah. for grief. Okay. Well, needless to say, there are some steps, I'm sure, for, for uh, uh, grieving as well, but there's no specific order. There's no time frame and there's no right or wrong way to do it. You're going to do it in the way in which you're going to do it. For me, um, and as I said before, I don't know if it's just because I have developed this philosophy uh, regarding death that death isn't the end. Uh, death is not the end that we think it is. I've been hearing uh, early on, not so much these days, but early on, um, her uh, her voice in my head just saying, ah, well, Richard, it's okay. It's Everything's going to be okay. Just, just hang in there. And then I came across a photograph 
Uh, it was at my parents' What was it? Uh, their uh, 60th, I believe it was, their 60th wedding anniversary. They've now been married 66 years. And um, it was a picture that I wanted to make sure was taken because uh, many back in the late 90s, we had my great-grandmother, my grandmother, my mother, and my sister who passed, my eldest sister, in a mm-hmm. photograph. So we had four generations. Fantastic. And then my great grandmother passed, so here we are at the sixtieth wedding, sixtieth uh, wedding anniversary of my parents, and we have my mother, uh, her daughter, my eldest sister, my eldest sister's daughter, and my eldest sister's daughter's daughter. Once again, four generations. So mm-hmm. I'm looking at this picture, and I'm looking at my sister Jeanette, and the smile on her face, and the salt and pepper long hair that she had. And uh, and so forth, as well as looking at my mother and, of course, my niece and my great niece and just thinking, wow, look at this. This is incredible. You know, and what I've known, I just now I don't know why this now clicked on me. Both generational photographs were just women. I don't I don't know that we've got four generations of males uh, uh, going on right now. Uh, but nonetheless, um, the, the, the lineage continues. In terms of that aspect, was was your son your only child? No, I also have a daughter. Okay. Yeah. So so you sort of kind of had your daughter to lean on and she on you? Yes. Oh, for sure. She's been a tremendous supporter. You know, in fact, she friends of mine came to her and said, you know, your mother's grieving. She's going to regret this. She has a lifetime appointment, blah, 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 and all these things. She said, you know, I think my mother should shake her rattle and release her inner butterfly. <laughs> and so, so she, she's been totally a supporter of my journey. Mm-hmm. And what are your feelings uh, in regards to, uh, and again, I don't know whether your daughter has children or not, but your son and carrying on the family name, that kind of thing, legacy, lineage, ancestry, and so on and so forth. Does that is that something that that has ever mattered to you? And then with the loss of your son, what about that? Yeah, gosh, you know, I know a lot of people are really um, you know tuned into carrying on the the family name, but maybe it's because I'm divorced, so it's not my family name and. If you know anything about mitochondria, the mitochondria are the cells in our body and they're passed down through the mothers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so it's sort of we have this matrilineal thing with um, me and my daughter and her daughter. So we have three generations there. We unfortunately don't have four generations. I just don't see it that way. I think there's a variety of ways of seeing that, you know, that's sort of that paternalistic view that we got to have the name carried on the name of the father in our country. The name of the father's got to be carried on through the generations or something's amiss. And I guess I just don't don't see it that way. <laughs> the book is entitled Living Grieving, and uh, there are a lot of things that we're living with and and going through as, uh, as we live our lives. And uh, of course, uh, Karen, you've obviously, uh, you are experiencing that which I won't experience the loss of a child, and that I only grasp partly in terms of what my pa- my parents are going through in the loss of one their eldest child. Yeah. Um, I do have to share sort of a humorous uh, uh, a note 
Um, and I don't know whether this was a conversation that my father had with my mother after my sister's passing, right after or thereabouts. But my father, obviously, feeling the loss, uh, very close to uh, uh, my sister Jeanette. And he, <laughs> I just a little quick background. Our listeners probably know this. Uh, according to what I've been told, my dad is healthy as a horse. Okay, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't have any issues, doesn't have any problems. Uh, he does have st- some stability issues, so he's using a walker. He's got hearing aids, and he's got vision. But that he's had most of his life, the, the latter two. So he's having this conversation, and all of a sudden he says, "You know, I'm just tired. I, I just, I'm done. I just want to go." To which my mother, in her inimitable way, <laughs> she says, "Okay." So what are you going to die of? You know, and it's like, okay, choose, Dad, because, you know, you're 90. And, you know, and, of course, when I got the phone call, I thought the phone call was to tell me, uh, Richard, your father has just passed. You know, not expecting it to be my sister because we were together at Christmas. And she Mm -hmm. seemed like she was doing great. Tell me about, I was going to say that my sister gave us a great gift at Christmas, but I want to ask you, what gift, singular gift, can you point to that your son has given you uh, in his passing or maybe in general from his life that now you can reflect on and say, yeah, he gave us. Mm. Yeah, he gave me. Um, the knowledge that there really is life after death. So he came to me right after he died and I saw him just like I'm talking to you. And then he kind of faded away. Mm. And ever since he's been around and I have interactions with him and I can feel his presence, just as you feel that your sister's voice in your head, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. What greater gift is that to say, Hey, this whole death thing is not what it's made out to be. Right here we are. It's a it's a veil between the worlds, so to speak. Or they're right next door. They're in the same room. They're with us. And so, wow, the, life doesn't end. You know, before this happened, I might have said, "Alive is alive, dead is dead." But I know that's not true. I know there's so much more to being alive, and so much more to our consciousness and our soul that goes on and continues after our physical body passes. And what a great gift, you know, so many people are terrified of death and dying. Like that's the end, right? And, and it's not the end. And then some people are afraid of death and dying because of hell, you know, we've got this, oh, there's hell and this and that. And I've never seen any sign of hell. You know, maybe hell is what we create on earth for ourselves. I don't know. But um, so, you know, to be able to lose that fear of, of death and dying is an amazing gift. That he gave to me. Well, I know that uh, my sister gave us a great gift in terms of that Christmas when, mm-hmm. unbeknownst to us at the time, uh, she was actually um, stage four liver cancer because oh. it had spread. And yet she was the bubbliest, happiest, smiling person. And I'm thinking, ah, this won't be our last Christmas together. And um, I, I've told my other, my youngest sister, uh, about the incredible um, uh, uh, orchestration of that day. Uh, my youngest sister is just amazing at that kind of stuff. And she just, she put that all together and everything from the dinner to going or driving around looking at Christmas lights to this and that and the other thing. And so my eldest sister, I don't know if you want to say she held it in. I, I also learned too after the fact that 
in spite of the fact that she had illnesses all her life. She was never bitter. And so now when I get up, when I get upset over something, I'm going, okay, your sister was never bitter over all the stuff she was dealing with. So get a frickin' grip, boy. You know? <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah, there's a lot of wisdom yeah. to be had in, in death and dying and in grieving. There's a tremendous amount of wisdom that we kind of want to block off because it's associated with pain and sadness and despair. So we don't want to look at the tremendous wisdom at the yeah. other side. There's always the yin and the yang, the positive and the negative. And so mm-hmm. looking at that positive thing, of it's life-changing, it's miraculous, it gives us depth that we wouldn't otherwise have. Yeah. Karen Johnson's my guest. KarenJohnson.com is the website. We certainly hope you will go there. We're going to be linked to her website as well. We certainly hope that you will get a copy of her book, Living Grieving. I actually, uh, <laughs> I don't know how this happened, uh, Karen, uh, but I actually have two copies of oh, the book. Oh, fantastic. I don't know how that <laughs> happened, but I've got two <laughs> copies. Uh, so uh, I, you need one now with the, the sticker. I won the, the, oh, the Nautilus Awards. So oh, I've got my a, gosh. Got Congratulations. I know. You know? I can have one. I'll have to send you a couple stickers for your book. I will. I will look for those. Um, <laughs> and, and we hope that you will stay tuned to tell me your story, folks. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And um, we're talking with Karen Johnson, author of uh, Living Grieving. Uh, it is uh, a process that she went through using energy medicine to alchemize grief and loss. And um, I was, uh, of course, looking uh, through the book as well, and uh, I noticed that you deal with the medicine wheel and the four directions. Is, um, is, is the source of this alchemy, if you will, Native American? What, what, share with us. Sure. Yeah, so um, I actually, in my journeys came across the four winds and the four winds uh, is uh, as put together by Alberto Viotto. And it really is found the foundation is Andean Peruvian medicine, but there's also aspects of all the medicine wheels. There's North Americans are slightly different than South American wet medicine wheel. And also Alberto so brilliantly overlaid 16 practices that are, you know, Buddhists can understand, Christians cannot, anybody has heard these non-judgment, non-suffering, non-attachment, mm-hmm. beauty way. So the number 16 practices that we can sit really, really, really deeply with. And I always have ask people to sit with them with a candle and a pie pan to catch the candle drippings and a notebook and a pen and paper and ask yourself questions very, very deeply. Sit where you can be quiet and undisturbed and sit with your heart open and ask yourself these questions like, who am I judging? Am I judging myself? Am I judging my siblings, my parents even? How about the one that passed? I know I was judging him. That wasn't supposed to happen. Mm. My son passed, went to a party, got drunk, and they decided they were going to try heroin. Well, I'm pretty mad about that, actually, when I sat down about it. That wasn't exactly what was supposed to I saw for his future and for mine. So sitting with these things in a really ceremonial way, you know, when we see a candle, we go into a church or we go into a temple and we see candles, we sort of automatically flock to it and light a candle. We just know. We know that fire and smoke is a way to um, send our prayers upward. Mm -hmm. So as we sit ceremonially, we're getting out of our everyday 
uh, brains, our reptilian brains, uh, the one of fight or flight and all the way we engage in this world. And we ratchet up to our neocortex. And the neocortex is the brain of ceremony. And in ceremony, we can have things move very lightly that we would struggle with in the physical realm. So by writing down these things, which who you're um, uh, judging who, what stories you're telling yourself about shame, blame, guilt, I should have done this, I could have done that, all these sorts of things, we write them down and then take this list. We don't have to worry about a journal that somebody's going to read or find later, so we can be radically honest. We don't have to worry about anybody reading it, taking those um, entries and burning them with the intention that it goes to spirit. And then we're released of it. We're free of this judgment and we're opening our heart to look at things in a different way. And so this is a ceremonial way of going through and finding out where are we stuck? What things are we holding on to that are really causing us a lot of pain? You know, it's it's interesting that you you uh, you know put it in this context because uh, I, <laughs> one of the first things that came to my mind is you started and I did I've heard what you said about the sixteen different uh, ways and so forth and sitting and writing and so forth uh, but the first thing <laughs> that came to my mind and I don't know maybe it's just my internal um, uh, personality resistance I don't want to do it I don't want to do it. No, <laughs> I'm fine. I'm processing just fine. Thank you very much. But at the same okay, time, you need a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know there are many. That's what people, I'm picking up. There, there are many people around me who say that. They, Richard, you need a lot of work. <laughs> Fortunately, I think we always resist things we resist most are usually the things we need the most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I, I, I look at that and I'm going, you know. Because I just I just bought this um, blank eight and a half by eleven hard bound book from the art supply store. It's a mm. black book, okay, but it's eight and a half by eleven, so it's not one of those keep phone numbers of girls or anything. <laughs> and I thought, perfect, perfect. Uh, I will get what I need, like what you just described. I'll, I'll, I've got I've got a really cool looking uh, uh, candle. Uh, candle holder that actually, if I'm correct, actually it's the sh- it's in the shape of a coiled, uh, ready to strike cobra. Uh, cool. Get a candle, put that in there. Um, uh, go someplace where I won't start a fire in the wilderness someplace, and <laughs> and and just sit there. And sometimes it's hard to find the time because our lives are so freaking busy. It's like. Every month I take a look at my calendar going back up the previous month. I'm going, I did that many interviews this month? Are you kidding me? And then I look into the current month and I'm, really? Okay. I, what about next month? I'm going, okay, I got one or two. You know what? I need to put a pause. I need to stop. I need to. So that I can take the time, set it aside, even for that matter, even if I don't use a candle. And again, I know the, the significance thereof. Because what you're talking about in terms of burning it after you've written it, uh, I've often thought about that about my journals when I started journaling at 21. Now, it's been a long time since I've journaled, probably the 90s, early 90s. But I have five or six or seven books of journaling. And I've gone back and I've kind of read some of the stuff going, really? You, you said that? But I always was afraid of writing literally the truth, literally the unedited, unvarnished, unabridged 
Because what if somebody finds this and reads this? <laughs> reads it. Oh. And and I, I, I'm thinking, you know, you got to remind yourself, Richard, you learned this years ago. God already, already, he already knows all of this stuff. And if 8 billion other people know, so what? And besides, most of them don't care. And then I look at it from this additional standpoint of people who are worried about their phones being tapped and their conversations being recorded, like by the NSA or whoever. I'm, I often say this to them, whether if I'm on the phone or like, like in this interview, I would say if somebody's tapped in, I am so glad that you find what we are talking about so interesting. We're flattered. We're Absolutely. both flattered that you are I listening. Hope and I hope you some learned feedback. something. What's that? <laughs> If they're going to listen, I hope they leave some feedback. I hope you know? so, too. I'm like, I'm open to this. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you uh, you were a former federal judge. You are a former federal judge. I want to talk a little bit about that as we continue. Uh, but you also, and I want to talk about this part first as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I want to continue talking with you, Karen. Karen Johnson, author of Living Grieving. You mentioned ceremony. As far as the candle and the writing and the burning and so forth. You were involved for how many years were you a federal judge? Let's see, from 2000, about 15 years. Okay. So for 15 years, for five days a week, I would assume you probably didn't work on the weekends, but for 15 years, five days a week, 300, uh, you know, 52 weeks out of the year, you participated in a ceremony. Court always starts the same. You have procedures. You have protocol. Uh, Court always ends the same with you smacking the gavel saying court is adjourned and you leave. Everybody stands when you come in. They stand when you leave. This is part of that, um, if you will, judicial ceremony and ritual. So you were a part of that already. Yes. How important do you find ceremony to be in our day-to-day lives? Because I've only been in court once, and that was when I was divorced, not knowing it was also called a lawsuit. (laughs) So I can honestly say, yes, I'm divorced, and I was sued. Synonymous terms. Anyway, what about that in terms of the importance of ceremony and ritual and even tradition for that matter? Yeah, I think I think people are really hungry for ceremony and ritual and tradition. I mean, those are sort of the little last vestiges. A lot of the churches people have gone and off and don't resonate with it. And, you know, there's lots of ceremony in churches and temples and those sorts of things. So a lot of people are a little bit adrift. You know, they can't quite um, believe all the old stories they've been told about their religious beliefs. And so what do they have to replace it? And so there's a little bit of a secular, you know, those all those traditions were sort of based on secular and yet religious traditions. And um, but people really look for ceremony. And so a lot of times every month we get together, we have fire ceremonies. And that's a big ceremony where people oh. come together in community. 
and you can have a death arrow. You can blow in the things you want to release and release it to the fire. So fire, again, is operating as a way of rapid transformation. And people come together and they sing and they chant and they, they put their feelings in and they're all offering to Pachamama, to Mother Earth. And, and people are hungry for this. People are looking for ways to connect that they, they, they aren't finding in society. We're becoming more isolated and insular. And, um, and so that's one reason I offer a class. So if people go to my website, they can look under media and events. And I have a five-week class coming up beginning in July. And we sit together in ceremony all together. And we do things, we make prayer bundles, and we go through all the exercises in the book. Like you said, it seems like daunting, 16 exercises, I don't have time for that. But if you do four a week, Right, you sit down and you do the south direction of the medicine wheel, which is shedding, shedding, shedding. And then you do the four that we talk about those and people talk about their experiences and they hear other people's experiences and how they feel stuck and where they feel stuck. And they might go back and say, you know, I, f- I need to work on that a little deeper. Yeah, I see, I have that too. I didn't see that in the beginning. And then we go on to the west direction, four practices, and then the north and then the east. So by the end of class, oh my gosh, we're ready to have a journey to meet death. And so we actually take a journey and meet death and people are really, you know, kind of scared. And then they meet death and they go, oh my gosh, you know, death is an angel. Death death is just this escort between worlds. It's not this hooded figure with a scythe and all this kind of thing, you know? And, And so very, very healing kind of work that we do in a group and people just really are able to really shed grief that they've been holding long-term. So, you know, there's all kind of grief, compound grief, people that have lost multiple people, anticipatory grief, you know, your loved one's going soon. That's a tough one too. Um, Lost people that um, their children are lost in addiction. Their children are lost in addictions like video games, not just drugs, but video games. Um, and unresolved grief, old grief. Maybe your parent died as a child and nobody would tell you why or what really happened. Mm. And so you've been carrying that. And and it, it eats at us, right? And so one of the practices is um, indigenous alchemy. And so what does that mean? Indigenous means native or inherent, inherent desire for transformation. And so we all as humans have that desire for transformation. And if we don't move our, this heavy energy, we don't move our grief and we don't work with it, it can come out in other ways like illness, mm. cancers, things like that. So, you know, we've got to work with things bit by bit. Or even substance abuse. So, oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I want to ask you about your... Uh, federal judgeship, if that's the right term. <laughs> sure. <laughs> your your part in the, the judicial system here in this country and on a federal level. Um, uh, first of all, may I ask who uh, you were appointed? I was an administrative law judge. And so the procedure for that's a little bit different. It's not a direct appointment. I don't have to run for office. We're tested in. Mm-hmm. So you get a really high score and then oh, you okay. can apply for jobs and then you get appointed. They choose applicants okay. from that. So it's a slightly different procedure. I, I wasn't sure if a governor or even a president had appointed you to a, a federal ship. Maybe that's a different different uh, jurisdiction. My brain. <laughs> the good brain God gave me. 
Well, wonderful. Uh, congratulations on that. And uh, you you were practicing. Uh, well, I, I don't know if the word is correct. Uh, you were a judge for uh, about 15 years, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, how did how did that begin for you? Because it seems like in addition to knowing the law, you also have to come from because uh, I'm, I'm seeing this more a little bit here and there. You have to come from the heart sometimes when you actually see, okay, I know what the law is. I know what the letter of the law is, but what's the spirit of the law? What should I really be saying to this person on the other side of the courtroom there uh, at the defendant's desk, if you will, uh, in terms of meeting out the appropriate, I don't want to say punishment, justice, shall we say, uh, that... Mm -hmm. That doesn't just measure what they did, but also measures even the why and how they've gotten to where they are, where they would have contemplated and then ended up doing what they have did that now places them before you. Yeah. So, you know, I had 30, I was a lawyer for 30, more than 30 years. And so I started out um, doing prosecution and defense work, you know, so sitting not on the bench, but I was presiding to the bench, but it's always that balancing. What mm-hmm. is this per- What is this case really about? And finding where, where is justice? Where does justice lie? And so when I was actually doing the judicial work, I was doing environmental work from Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. And so, but that's the, sort of the same thing, even though you don't have people the same way, people that have cr- created a, a crime against each other, but definitely corporations, vying for, you know, a result, wanting more money, wanting this, wanting that, protesting. It's it's all fascinating. It's always looking at that gray area. What's that? Because the other parts, the parts that aren't gray areas have already been litigated. It's these ones that don't quite fit that we have to figure out and find out what what's the way to go here in, in this situation. And so it's fascinating work. So, uh, did you ever uh, lean more towards the heart and say, you know what, this person just doesn't doesn't meet the criterion for spending time incarcerated? We need to come up with a different creative alternative. Uh, I know that there are new programs, or they're not that new. They've been around for a number of times, a number uh, quite a, a long time, especially when it comes to the youth, you know, young people, teenagers, and so forth. Uh, I think it's something like restorative justice, something like that, uh, where they come up with different ways to say, look, yeah, we know you did wrong and you 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 do have, as they say, a debt to pay to society for what you've done. But we need to find a better way to make you to have you pay that debt without turning you into a, a more hardened criminal, as it were, by throwing you in with a bunch of these other people who are in incarceration and at the same time I'd like to think that our penal penal colonies, our penal institutions, (laughs) I guess they could be considered such, our penal institutions also are, some are trying new methods to if you will rehabilitate And, and, and I often wonder there are those who do not believe that it is possible to rehabilitate an individual and I'm thinking well, if that's true, then why do we go to school for 12 plus years? Uh, why do we why do we do anything in terms of our careers, in terms of moving forward and learning more and so forth? If 
if there's no chance for us to change? What about mm-hmm. that aspect? I mean, is the human being malleable, malleable enough from your perspective as a judge, a former judge, um, to say, you know, this person, I want to give this person a chance to try and, shall we say, redeem themselves, to change if they really want to. And I want to give them that opportunity. And I know that sometimes it doesn't always work. What's your, what are your thoughts in that regard? Yeah, sure. So, um, look, it, the system is is broken. Judges, the prosecution, the defense, they don't always have as much flexibility as we'd like to pretend that they have. There's, you know, rules and guidelines and sentencing guidelines and things like that. And um, so, but to the extent that we can, we can recommend different kinds of opportunities or different kinds of ways to for people to pay back their debt. But, and pe- some people are, you know, I think we're hardwired for transformation and for change, and but we're also hardwired for choice. Mm-hmm. And some people just are not going to make a different choice. It may be that that's what they know. You know, we, we, we none of us like change very much. And so this is what they know. They know how to commit fraud and they know how to get over. Or they know how to get choose the easy way out. Some people are not open to being rehabilitated in a way that's going to require them to behave differently. Yeah. And some people are. Yeah. So, and how do you find those ones? You know, how do you find the ones that it can help? Exactly. Uh, it, it makes me think of one of my favorite movies that I saw for the first time in Southwest literature class in high school. Uh, and I have to say, I have to send out a kudos to uh, uh, a shout out to I'm sure he's probably passed on by now. My my Southwest literature cl- uh, instructor, Mr. Miller, because he showed us what I consider to be a, a great movie in a lot of different ways. Cool Hand Luke. Mm-hmm. And I find it so fascinating how the entire movie is based upon and we never do really find out the reason why. Uh, the character uh, Luke uh, got drunk and decided to cut off the tops of of of, uh, fi- of um, parking meters, uh, but that's the reason why he went to the chain gang. That's why. <laughs> I mean, it's like the whole premise is based on the fact that he was cutting off parking parking meter tops, you know, heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's like really sending him to a chain gang. That's the. Of course, this was down in the south, you know. And, of course, there are a lot of different wonderful phrases, but I think one of my favorites wasn't by him, but it was, what we have here is failure to communicate. You got to get your mind right, Luke. And uh, just and George Kennedy was in it as well. Uh, Paul Newman. And it, it was just a, it was a great example in many cases, uh, in some instances of the inmates, if you will, and their compassion for one another, as well as their. Uh, hatred for one another, depending upon who who it was, yeah. the bond that they started to create amongst themselves as they worked on the chain gang, as they worked on, you know, building the roads, if you will. Uh, it was just really and the ways that they would amuse themselves, like seeing how many eggs that Luke could eat. Unbel- I don't even remember the number uh, of, of exit. And I wonder if Paul actually ate that many eggs. But boy, his stomach, he was it was thumping like a ripe watermelon. Let me tell you, we're talking. 
We're talking with uh, Karen Johnson. She's a, the author of Living Grieving. And uh, the subtitle, of course, is Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. Let's talk a little bit about maybe, because um, uh, I'm about ready to celebrate um, uh, the ending of my 62nd year on the planet. We're getting very close this month of June. And doesn't mean a whole lot to me. I mean, yeah, okay, that's everybody else would make a big deal out of it. Um, but I don't know. It's just like it's it's just another day. And yet I talk with many people, mediums and astrologers and numerologers and all of these kinds of people on this program. And they, oh, yeah, my, my dearest friend who has since passed has always told me you need to bring to completion certain tasks that you've been working on uh, as you as you approach both your birthday as well as New Year's Day, depending upon, you know, and mine just happens to be at opposite ends of the year, which is kind of interesting. Um. But I want to talk about ceremony once again, and I want to talk about, let's say, north on the wheel, okay? Can, mm-hmm. we, can we kind of maybe focus on one or two of these directions on the sure. medicine wheel in the process of, again, as you say in the subtitle, using energy medicine to alchemize grief and loss? And I'm actually going to turn uh, myself uh, as soon as I can get to the, the north. Uh, my compass is working quite well. Tell us a li- <laughs> tell us a little bit about first of all the concept that you are utilizing here in your book as far as the medicine wheel and the four directions. Now those are the cardinal directions. I've also heard that there are secondary positions like uh, the equinoxes or not uh, not the equinoxes. Uh, yeah, a tumble and um, uh, what was the other one? The spring and fall. Equinoxes, yep, and, and the so summer solstices, yeah, and the solstices exactly. But uh, yeah. talk to us a little bit about um, uh, awakening, is the title, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in the so in the Andean structure, we begin in the south, and that's partly because of the Southern Cross. Their cosmology is a little different, so we begin in the south, and so in the south and the west, it's about shedding, shedding your past, shedding old stories, shedding. Um, karma and shedding uh, ancestral things that we've been carrying for a long time. And so then we step into the north direction of the medicine wheel and we call it hummingbird medicine. And the hummingbird is a metaphor for this journey that we all take uh, in life and that we have to take with great courage. So the hummingbird goes on this epic journey from Canada all the way to Brazil and back in this tiny little wings, it doesn't carry any food with us. It just trusts that on the way, it's going to find nectar to live on and makes that epic journey back and forth. And so in my book, we're talking about awakening. This is the part where we start to look up and around us and say, okay, I've shed a lot of things. I've released a lot in the practices, the four practices in the South and the four practices in the West. And now I'm going to look at things that help me to awaken and look around and say, okay, um, I, my loved one has passed and I've dealt with a lot of the baggage I was carrying. So what's next? What's next for me? Mm. And so we want to look at things like beginner's mind, instead of being jaded and saying, been there, done that, this doesn't work, that doesn't work. 
really begin to say, look around and say, okay, well, you know what? Maybe I'll look at things with a different mind, with a beginner's mind instead of that jaded mind. Maybe I'll look look at how am I living? What if you were living as if everything that you did really mattered? Mm. Right? Um, Everything, everything really mattered. And so the choices that you make, and are you living the life that you want to live? Are you living a life that somebody else wanted you to live and you feel roped in, tied in? You feel like you can't leave. You feel like, oh, my parents, my siblings, my this, my that, I can't leave. I'm stuck. I'm trapped. And so, you know, sometimes it takes a little while to get out of what we created for ourselves because we all create our own traps, right? But just looking at it and beginning to think, is this where I want to be? And is this where I want to be in 10 years? Where would I like to be in 10 years? What would I like to be doing? And integrity is part of that. That's one of the practices and saying, what do I really want? Not what somebody else really wants for me, but what do I, how do I want to live my life? And to really begin to look at that and to maybe challenge some of the assumptions that we've made along the way. For me, I looked at it all and said, this judge thing and the law thing is not for me anymore. That's just not the way I want to live. That's not the way I want to die. I want to do something different. And so looking around, here I am. I, I, I'm living uh, as far away from Washington, D.C. as possible. When the second worst traffic in the country, which I drove for 30 years on living upstate New York, I'm living on a lake, I've written a book, I have a spiritual practice and spiritual clients. So I changed my life dramatically after my son passed. And, you know, so sometimes that's what we need. We need that change in life. We need to find out what makes our soul sing, what makes us happy. Mm. Do you yeah. still, I'm curious, in your ceremonies, in, in, in the work that you do with people uh, in ceremony, do you still use your uh, judicial robe? No. No? <laughs> yeah, no, turn... I burned that in the Vision Quest fire. Oh, you did? Okay. All right. I released it. No back doors. Putting, no, putting the past. That's the past. Burning that bridge euphemistically, if you will, and maybe literally. Yeah. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. We're talking with uh, Karen Johnson. She is the author of a book I think you want to get a copy of, uh, Living Grieving. Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. That's the first time I've actually seen the word alchemize. And I actually yeah. was able to, to get it right the first time there. You did. You did great. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it's interesting, too, how one of the things that uh, we talk about as well on this program, not just about choices and knowledge of those choices to help make our dreams come true, but also we talk about wanting to move from a place of survival yeah. to thrival. Now, mm-hmm. on the word thrival, I thought I made it up. And then I looked it up and I realized, nope, I didn't. But that's okay. Uh, but there's, where is there a process for us to make that shift? Because a lot of times we get stuck. You have even one of the directions is getting unstuck. We get yeah. stuck in the grief. We get stuck there. Uh, in surviving, uh, you know, uh, you hear this phrase, I'm a cancer survivor, I'm a this survivor, I'm a that survivor, uh, and so forth. And I'm, I'm thinking, that's, that's all you are? Is That's it? You know, uh, you, you have to have done more with your life to be something more than that. 
I mean, you know, yeah. come on. Is that where you're hanging your hat on? <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes we do get stuck in those roles. I mean, yeah. people get stuck in, okay, I'm a grieving mother. I'm a widow. I'm a widower. I'm a cancer survival. And so sometimes we just have to release the roles. You know, what defines us confines us. Mm. And so we want to find a bigger map for ourselves, something bigger than just those things. What and, and that's the process of becoming unstuck. We find out who we want to be, who we could be, not who we were in the past. That's all who we were in the past. We survived it. Yeah. But like, say, how do we thrive? What do we want to be in the future? So I like to work with clients and people to say, well, what is it that you want your future to feel like? So some people say, I don't know what I want to do. I can't think. I don't know how. I say, how would you like it to feel? Hmm. What would you like? Would you like joy? happiness, love, abundance. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, think about how that would be if you had all those things in your life. Wow, fantastic. And then that feeling, bring that feeling into your heart. And as we do this and add to it every day, well, I'd like this too, and I'd like that too, and I'd like it to be like this and service and purpose and meaning, and maybe I'll clean up the rainforest while I'm at it, right? So, But dream as big as you can dream so that you can break free of the past most of us live our lives in Newtonian physics, A plus B equals C. And we know, we like, okay, this kind of worked. So next time I'm just going to improve it a little. But predictable, predictable, predictable. But what if you could quantum leap into a future that's not based on your past, that's bigger than you can imagine by letting go of control? And so that's what we're working in. We're working at how is that feeling? How would it feel to be very different, to live a very different life? Oh, how about that house on the beach? Maybe I want a retreat center. Maybe I want to do this. You know, whatever it is, camp for kids, all these things. How would that be if you were living that life? Mm. Wow. Bring that feeling into your heart. And then you begin to see synchronicities and opportunities instead of obstacles. So we've got to be map makers. We've got to be map makers of the future, of our future, not being stuck in the past. Is Karen Johnson thriving? I am thriving. I have a card. I have a Louise Hayes desk, uh, deck, card deck. And one, t- one fell out and I keep it with me all the time. It says, I am not just happy and thriving. I'm not, I, I am completely happy and totally um, doing on my purpose, something like that. I can't remember the exact words of the card. I don't have it in front of me right now, but it's that I am really completely happy in a way that I was not driving in the second worst traffic, coming into an office stacked up to the ceiling and pressure, pressure, pressure all the time. And I was able to imagine abundance in a different way. And so abundance has come in a different way that I couldn't have perceived from my, I was, how would I ever do this? How could I, uh, what would I do with my car and my house and my mortgage and, you know, child uh, tuition payments, and blah, 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 blah. But dreaming allowed things to show up for me. Mm. in a different way. Karen Johnson is my guest, and she has written a book called Living Grieving, and you are listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, uh, I want you to go to karenjohnson.net. karenjohnson.net, we will be linked to her website, and uh, Karen, I cannot thank you enough for the time that you have given us, the, sh- the story uh, of your, the loss of your son that you've shared with us as well. And, and the things that you have created from that experience in particular. Um, I'm curious, before we wrap things up here, is, what, is, what have you brought forward 
even though you, you've already told us you've burned your robe, your judicial robe, but what have you, uh, what are some of the things that you learned, not just in the 15 years as being a judge, but even prior to that as a lawyer, that you have been able to bring forward into this alchemization process of living, grieving, and now, as you've just stated to us, you're thriving, uh, mm-hmm. that, that um, you can share with us. Okay, the most important thing that I share with clients, with anybody I come across, is the practice of beauty. And so I tell people to put practice beauty on their refrigerator, like a little, just a little note. And every day, look at that and say, what's one thing I can do today that brings beauty into my life? Is it a flower? Is it going to watch a sunrise or a sunset or going to an art show or going here? Go one thing, no matter how small it is, it may be that favorite meal or whatever, because in our grief and in our loss and in our caregiving as caregivers, sometimes we have lost all connection to anything that brought beauty into our life because we've sacrificed our lives for others. So just that memory to practice beauty every day, just one thing that makes you happy, one thing that brings beauty into your life. Can make such a huge difference. It absolutely can. It can make a huge difference, and I certainly hope that folks will go to your website, uh, which is KarenJohnson.net. Uh, we will, as I said before, be linked to your website and your book. Uh, your book has actually—you uh, were sharing this with me earlier—has uh, actually received the 2022 Silver. Uh, Nobius, is that right? Book award? Nautilus. 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 Uh, I got to, had to enlarge the text to read it. Nautilus, a book award, as well as the, you were nominated for the uh, COVR award in uh, shamanism and reincarnation, death and grieve, grieving. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it's been a, it's been a wonderful ride and it's, um, and I'm so glad that my message in this book is getting out to people that really need it. I would say uh, yes. Uh, it's it's gotten to one in particular, yours truly, folks, and uh, we are so grateful to uh, Karen for being a part of Tell Me Your Story as we continue here. Uh, I do have three final questions that I would like to ask you, <laughs> but right. uh, and I you may have answered them during the program, but I like to ask them directly. However, before I do that. I want to thank you, the listener and the viewer, for watching and listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we're giving you choices. And knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We have podcasts that are available through SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. We are also on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. And, of course, the channels are Tell Me Your Story, and you can also key in Richard Dugan on any of the platforms that I've mentioned. We hope that you'll subscribe, and I I emphasize this part uh, very seriously because... I'm not interested in increasing my subscriber base, okay? I'm at 73. It's been a slow climb for two years. I'm more interested in you being notified when a new program is put up, when a new interview, a new conversation is put up on either of these platforms, the podcast or videocast. And that way uh, you can share it with others if you'd like. 
Uh, you can uh, and apparently you can subscribe anonymously, and that's fine. I I, I have no problem with that. Uh, but this way you get notified. I am grateful for the fact that we are over eighty four thousand listens in uh, four and a half years, ladies and gentlemen. Those are the podcasts. Those are the podcasts, and we have over two hundred and seventy videos on YouTube. For whatever those numbers mean to you, uh, I am grateful for those of you who are listening to uh, Tell Me Your Story. We also ask, and this is an area we did not get into on this particular program with you, Karen, but maybe we'll have you back to talk about this area as well. We encourage people to spend time during this, the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s, going within and listening to that still, small voice in that quiet peaceful, calm place. Uh, I suppose you could light a candle with a little pie plate to catch the wax and then have your little paper and pencil or what have you and write um, euphemistically, if you will. Uh, but uh, spend that time, It'll especially if you are going through the per- grieving process of, lo- of losing a loved one, uh, a friend, a relative, a brother, a sister, a husband, a wife, whoever it might be, mother, father. And I know full well that one day I will get that call. Uh, and um, I have no idea how, how I will react. I did not know how I was going to react with uh, the loss of my sister. But, um, you know, I'd like to think that uh, I will maintain a level of grace, but at the same time acknowledge the emotions that come up. That's something else that we, we, uh, we might talk about as well in terms of listening to that still small voice, Karen. And also, if you'd like to support the work that we are doing, folks, we have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours. All you have to do, you can go to uh, richarddugan.com, scroll down just a touch. You'll see a link to the PayPal account. Boom. And you can uh, contribute whatever it is that you'd like. Uh, we'll take any amount and we will take energetic support as well. We can we can use all the energy that we can get. Uh, so uh, uh, whatever you are able to do. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate it. With that, we now ask you, Karen, our final three questions, the first of which is, who is Karen Johnson? (laughs) Karen Johnson is this spirit, this spirit in this human body that's having this wonderful earth ride um, with all these, I don't know, incarnations. I feel like I've been reincarnated many times in this lifetime and just experiencing life and joy. Oh, wow. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Yeah, I want to help all those people that are stuck in their grief to find a different way, to find a way out, to find a way to work their way through their grief so that they can actually have a bigger life. They can be reborn into a bigger, better life that honors their loved ones. Sometimes we think, oh, if I have a bigger, better life, it'll be showing my loved one that I don't care. They already know you care. And they are wanting you on the other side to live a better, bigger, better life. As you are free, you free them. You're not holding on to their kite string anymore. You're allowing them to do all the beautiful things they do on the other side. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Ah, my life's purpose. Well, I think that's it. I think this is what it was meant to be. My life's purpose is to be the spiritual being that helps others um, and leads them and helps them to find their meaning and purpose in life and 
in a joyous way, as I can be joyous and as I can be a sacred witness and witness for people and help them to, to grow and change their limited view and limited map of life. Mm. I think that is fulfilling for me. That's what makes me tick. Well, Karen, thank you so much uh, for this uh, conversation that we have had in this hour. We do look forward to having you back again to talk more about this, maybe getting into uh, this conversation about our intuition as well as uh, our um, our emotions and how those are connected and how we should follow through and listen and so forth. So love to have to, to talk to you again. Okay, thank you. I'll be, I'll be back anytime. All right, All wonderful. Right. <laughs> And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I'm still listening.